what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films, film reviews and discussion from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. Do you enjoy seeing interesting movies that you may not see anywhere else? Taking part in discussions about those films and live in Western North Carolina? Then you need to come be a part of the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films. I am one of your co-hosts, Alan Jackson, and with me, as always, Chris Fry. Chris, how Hello, are you? I am the other co-host. Yes, the other co-host, Chris Fry. And welcome to Foot Candle Films. This is our monthly podcast where we dig into a film that just happened to screen not but a couple of hours ago, honestly, here on our schedule as we record this. Uh, as part of our Foot Candle Film Society, we like to pick apart the film we just saw tonight. So we're going to do that first, give a review of tonight's film, and then we're going to move into some movie news and also give our picks of the month, kind of our movie picks that we think you ought to be checking out if you haven't seen them already. So with that, though, let's get into our first, our, our first section, our main review, and the review is of the film, the historical drama film, Sarah's Key. Papa? Madame Starzinski? July 42, they arrested 13,000 Jews. Put them in the Belladrome Hiver in inhuman conditions. No beds, no toilets, barely any water, and not one image exists. Sarah's Key is, as I mentioned, it's a historical drama in that it's one of those films where you take a historic event that actually happened and you build a dramatic presence around it. Okay. And it is based on a novel. A little bit of uh, a summary about the film here. It stars Chris and Scott Thomas. Uh, stars as a journalist who is researching this tragedy that happened in Paris and France by, back in the 1940s at the tail end of uh, World War II during the German occupation, having to do with uh, a lot of the Jews being rounded up in France and being shipped off uh, at the you know with the cooperation of the French government, which is really the right. whole tragedy of the thing is we're learning that as we go with this. Chris and Scott Thomas plays the lead role in present day, but then we also have a parallel story going on where she is researching what happened in the past, where we're following, primarily following a young actress. Her name is, and I'm going to butcher all the many names in this review. I'll just go ahead and give you fair warning. (laughs) uh, Melusine Mayence, young female actress who plays Sarah. Um, the girl who, not to give away any, anything in the film, but you know, she, we follow her story throughout her, most of her life, as far as what her experiences were while she was a small child during the occupation and then how it affected her life and and moved on from there. So we have these two parallel paths going and we're learning about this, this event, uh, just as Julia, uh, Chris and Scott Thomas's character is learning as well. So, and, but we're following both storylines. It does a lot of cross-cutting between these two parallel lines. Gotcha. Now, it is based on a novel, okay? And there's where I'm going to start off really talking about the review part of it. It's based on a novel by Tatiana de Rosne, 
And, and there again, probably messed that name up, but <laughs> let's just roll with that. Uh, so it is based off a novel. When we have films that are based off of novels, especially those that have some historical relevance to them, uh, I think we have an inherent challenge as a filmmaker to work with. A, this is a well-loved novel. That in itself is a challenge to adapt into a film because, you know, you take any good novel and it's definitely more than two hours worth of content to explore. And you've got to get it down to that 90 minute, 120 minute window. Right. This one, I think, adds another layer to it in that we have two parallel stories going on. So you've got, and my understanding is in the book, it's chapter one, it's present day. Chapter two is in the past. Chapter three, present day. So it alternates like that, kind of a ping pong table with chapters between present and past. Movie does a little bit of that as well, cross-cutting. But I think we have a challenge. I'm going to relate this film to a film that was out many years ago that many of you probably saw, The Da Vinci Code. I have heard of that. Yeah, you've heard of that. Yes. It's, I think yes. I think it I think it did pretty pretty good business. Um, so the film version of that, I never read the book. Okay, okay? Um, until I heard there was being a film made about it. Then I hurried up and tried to read the book before the film came out because I'm not a big reader uh, of books <laughs> and novels. I think I've even mentioned this in a previous yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, not a big reader of novels, and so. I tried to hurry up and read the Da Vinci Code before the film came out. And as I was reading it the whole time, if you recall with the Da Vinci Code, it's very much a somebody in the present day is learning about things in the past. Mm -hmm. And they kept getting led step by step by step along this path to learn more as they go. Right. As I finished reading that book and then I saw the movie going into the movie, I said, this is going to be a really tough movie to make because all I felt like the book was, was person learn something, run to the next location learn something new, gets chased to the next location, learn something new. Gotcha. And that's a challenge as a film to make exciting and interesting. Mm -hmm. And that could it have been better served as a documentary? Mm. That was a big lead in to this review, Chris. But what I'm going to turn over to you is a question. With Sarah's Key, A, did watching this film have give you any encouragement at all to go back and read the book? And B, could this film have been served better as a documentary, as opposed to putting a dramatic story on a real life event. Go. Okay. Part A. Do I have any interest in reading the book? That was part. That a. was that was part A. Yes. No. Okay. Um, I have absolutely no interest in reading the book, and that will flow into my answer to Part B. Would it have been better served as a documentary? Yes. Hmm. I would rather see a documentary or learn a little bit about the history that happened in the past. This movie bored me. To tears. Hmm, interesting. Um, yes. I, anything that happened in the present day with Kristen Scott Thomas, not a fault of her own, but I thought it was boring. It was very predictable, down, even in the end, which I will not spoil the ending, but there's like a little romance stuff that just was just so Hollywood, so trite, just really could not stand it. The stuff that happened in the past, Sarah's story of the title, mm -hmm. Sarah's Key, that was interesting to me. And if anything, it just frustrated me because I went into this movie knowing a little bit that it had to be with, you know, Jews getting rounded up in France. And I had never heard of that before. So I was like, oh, right. I'm going to learn about that. Yeah, sure. And grin, I guess I learned a little bit about it. Mm -hmm. But it was so frustrating because it was just kind of just touched on. You know, it wasn't really explored or I, I just it was very frustrating. And I can't believe that it was dealt with in such a passing manner. But I guess it was based on the book. And so therefore they kind of but it. I, I just, and I went into this movie also looking at other 
movies like The Reader or Schindler. Oh, okay, The Reader. Actually, The Reader is a the good com- a better, example. A better that. example than Schindler's List. But going into this movie, you know, we've seen a lot of Holocaust movies. Mm-hmm. Okay, so going into this, and I was like, okay, how is this going to be presented to me such that it's interesting? Because it's based on a novel. So you're mm-hmm. like, okay, well, the novel did really well, so it must have some gimmick. Mm-hmm. to make it interesting so that it's not just another Holocaust movie. And I thought what was going to be the the link or the hook was going to be the exploration of this kind of pushed away hidden fact about the French helping the Germans round up. Jews. Right. I thought that was going to be the hook. That's what was going to draw. And that would have drawn me in to learn about that. No, they didn't do that. Well, pretty much after the first 15, 20 minutes, that whole aspect of it is gone, right? And if you look at a movie like The Reader, for example, that was another movie. It was about, you know, Nazis and Germany and everything. And I was like, that's not going to be interesting to me. I was wrong. It Mm -hmm. was interesting the way they kind of used the main character who had people read books to her and she had been a sympathizer with Nazis and had let things happen. And that that was fascinating. And I came away from that movie with kind of an interesting perspective this movie gave me nothing new other than i did learn just a little bit in that first part about oh yeah this did happen in france hmm. and so i was just i was profoundly disappointed chris how many episodes have we had of foot candle films is this our fifth this one this is our fifth one fifth episode yeah i keep hoping for an episode where we are going to <laughs> drastically disagree this with each gonna, other this isn't going to be it no this is not, and I'm so disappointed because I was kind of hoping in a way you liked it so mm-hmm. we could get into an argument about it. But yeah, I'm with you. I, uh, this didn't work for me. I mean, um, if, if it wasn't for the fact that I didn't want to like ruin the movie for people who hadn't seen it, I would just list all the things I really hate about it. But well, some of them will be let's, spoilers. So let's not use the word hate because I think that's a very strong <laughs> word here. It, it's dislike. It's, it's, it's things that just didn't work for us as much. I, uh, I didn't hate the film. Um, there were some parts of it I really liked. There were some parts of it I admired. But I'm with you in that it didn't – it just didn't do anything deep enough to make any impact on me. Okay, It was right. a very slight movie. I guess that's the way to look at it. And for such heavy subject matter, you mm-hmm. would think it would have more of an impact right. on you. Now, honestly, I think this is a problem with the whole book adaptation. I think you may be on this. Because I guarantee you the book probably has a lot more in-depth of, of the history – a lot more emotion to it, a lot more higher stakes, a lot more connection back to history later on in the story. All, so much of that just got glossed over in the movie. Where once you got past the uh, the scenes, which were brutal, brutal scenes in the beginning mm-hmm. of the, the torment that the Jewish people that were rounded up and sent off to these different camps that they went through, that was brutal. The whole first 30 minutes was very tough to watch uh, from an emotional level. But yet, you know, once the Sarah left that, it just became kind of a journey movie. And there again, I do equate it back to the Da Vinci Code thing. All we are faced with is we have a character in modern day making phone calls and going to meetings and going to people's houses to learn. And as she's learning, we get a little bit more information along the way. But it's not even directly connected to the past because we've already learned stuff in the past through the flashbacks before Chris and Scott Thomas's character has even figured it out in the present day. So there's even a major disconnect there where it's not like we're learning as we go and all of a sudden we find out something that really just changes our whole perspective on it. No, we've already seen what's happened in the past. It's like, we're now watching Chris and Scott Thomas's characters reaction to it. And that's not interesting. No. Um, the whole present day storyline didn't work for me at all here. I just, I didn't see the point how of you, it. How useless was this doesn't really anything. How useless was her 
being pregnant. No, that whole pregnancy like side. I was like, now here again, I oh, think that's man. where the book adaptation problem lies because I guarantee in the book there was probably Something a deeper, there. deeper sub storyline with that. Mm-hmm. But the disconnect with her husband, the uh, the the impending uh, pregnancy, all these things had no bearing on no. the story in the movie. No, although I'm sure they did in the novel, but in the movie in they did not. And, yeah. and it was really tough because in the end I'm left wondering what was the point of the present day stuff at all. I think it would have been better served as kind of like in a way, which is more typically done in movies, where you have it bookends, where you see it in the beginning, mm-hmm. and then you see her at the end make some revelation, and in the middle you see, you spend the whole middle of the movie being the flashback. It's like yeah. one big long flash. I don't I don't know. See, I really thought you know, and, and I don't want to give too much of the film away because I do think it's worth seeing for those who have read the book and want to see a film adaptation of this book. But I don't know. You don't I think, think so? You, I you think, think if you've read, the, I think if you've read the book. And you like the book, keep that a happy memory. Mm, okay, well, it could be. <laughs> but if you haven't, and you want to, you hear about this movie, and you think it sounds good, go ahead and see it. But I, unless you be prepared, if you've read the book, to probably not like it. I think. Right, let me let me pick out a couple things I did like about the film, okay. if I can do that, and if you've got some as well, maybe. Um, I did think the young actress that played the young Sarah was good. I I would agree. Okay, the, so she she's playing Sarah as a young girl in the past. Mm-hmm. She's She's the main actress in this whole past storyline. And I think she does a really good job. I, I thought uh, – I, I, I don't think she ever did it in any places where it called for her to be emotional and all. I mean I think she hit it on the right notes for sure. the most part. I think the camera work was interesting in many places for a film like this. Many times you see a historical drama piece like this. The camera work is typically pretty static and pretty pretty mundane. There were a lot of interesting shots, overhead shots, movement shots within the film that I thought worked really interesting. It made it a little bit more than just a watching a, a docudrama uh, like you typically would see. The, uh, I will agree that I think the camera work in this did kind of save it from becoming really, you know, I said I was bored, which is true. I was kind of bored. But the camera work, especially there's a one scene, one take where they're in the velodrome, I think it's called, the yeah. place where they rounded mm-hmm. them all up. And it's this pan, overhead pan, of all these people that are being huddled into this small space. Yeah. And that was a very effective I thought shot. that was good. I thought the abruptness of a, of a scene. Actually, the whole velodrome sequence was probably my favorite part of the movie. Mm. I thought just because it had such a, a unusual quality to the building and just you really felt like you were suffering through what they were suffering. At least I felt that way. Sure. And then the horror of seeing someone drop right in front of your face and it's very yeah. abrupt. And I thought that whole 20 minutes of the movie, 15, 20 minutes was really well done. That was my favorite part of the film. Yeah. Um, I just think that once Sarah got loose left and left, uh, you know, the, the, the camps, it just didn't really hit the right marks anywhere after that. So yeah, I'd, I'm kind of on the same page acting wise. You pulled out, the young Sarah. Yeah. Um, how did you feel about Kristen Scott Thomas? Not good. Oh, man. Here again, I thought maybe we'd disagree. No, I'm I sorry. I thought maybe you would defend her. No, I thought her acting here was basically show reaction shots to what other people say. And just and, look tired. And look tired <laughs> and confused. And no, I was actually really disappointed in her in this movie. I just, I didn't. I never once felt a true connection with why she was so passionate about what she was learning about. No. No, I really didn't. I saw no emotional connection. I couldn't understand what the connection was. She got upset with her husband mm-hmm. because her husband's family has some involvement in what but happened. He didn't know it. But yet he didn't know it. It was like she was mad at him, but yet yeah. he was kind of an innocent bystander to the thing. 
it just it just didn't work. And I, I tell you, the whole modern day part of this film just just didn't work. I would have much rather seen a whole film that was documenting this story, this potentially partially fictional story right. of this characters and this family going through this ordeal. That would have been more interesting to me. But even more interesting than that would be watching a documentary about this whole uh, the whole tragedy that happened in, in France back at that time. Agreed. So I just think trying to and that's why I, I did relate it back to Da Vinci Code because I felt the same way where I would much rather have interest, I was much more interested in reading about what the Da Vinci Code was talking about, some of these secrets and revelations, than to see it drawn into some sort of suspenseful drama film like it was. That was just me. I'd rather read about the facts and the information and the documentation and not see it woven to a story, you know. And I think that was the problem here. I wanted to learn. I wanted to understand what was happening and why. But instead, I got this modern-day thing that had no connection to it and just didn't go anywhere. Sure. Yeah. So yeah. we're unfortunately we're agreeing. I was really hoping. I know. Man, we got so close to. I mean, I felt <laughs> thought for a minute there maybe you were going to go a different direction, but you didn't. So we've got Sarah's key, and I will say I, I think for people that if you enjoyed the book, I agree with Chris to some degree that you may want to avoid the film because it may water down your expectation, your your enjoyment of it to some degree. Although I will say. We just left a theater full of a lot of book club fans that love the book and they love the film. True. So I'm saying maybe it's just us. Okay. We just have to admit, maybe it's just the two of us. Maybe it just didn't work for us, but we are saying Sarah's key. We know is at the time we're watching it tonight, it's out in limited release. Mm -hmm. Um, It's definitely out there. It's, uh, you know, getting some, some traction right now, showing a lot of places, Uh, probably be on DVD and iTunes within the next few months. Um, any Oscar hopes for this at all? Do you think anything that could be get pulled out of this? I don't know. I wouldn't think so. Yeah. But maybe. I'm, I'm not really seeing anything either. So, okay. So that's our review of Sarah's Key. That's actually probably our first negative review we've had I think so. in our show. Yeah. We've had five episodes and the first four films we saw, we, we generally liked or loved. Mm-hmm. And now we've got our first big disappointment film. So, huh. And I mean, see it. And if you disagree with us, let us know. Yeah, we'd love to. Actually, yeah. Actually, write us an email. Let us know if we're we're way off base on this. And we may have to address this in a future episode, kind of a follow-up if we get any uh, criticism of our review. So, yeah. Yeah, I'll add one thing to the review, too, that you said you didn't buy or, you you know, you couldn't be sympathetic with Chris and Scott Thomas's character, Julia. And I found myself, which I guess maybe not to reveal too much, I couldn't find myself being sympathetic with Sarah either once she got to be past a child, when she wasn't a no, child no, I anymore. Agree. And that was the problem is I found no one in the movie that I cared about, really. I didn't care I, about Sarah. I didn't care about well, Julia. I'm like, I'm not caring about it. I didn't care about Sarah as an adult. But as an that, adult. that part of the film was so slight and small and yeah. rushed. And rushed. Um, the younger Sarah is the one character I did connect with. I thought sure. she did a great job. I totally bought her, her drive, her passion, her desire to help her brother and all that. So I, I connected with her, but there again, she was, she left the child stage and became that sullen uh, distance adult that got glossed over way too quickly. Definitely. That was really, they did not go into as much detail in the film with her as an adult that as I feel like they should have. So uh, then we did have one kind of big name actor outside of Chris and Scott Thomas with uh, Adrian Quinn. 
It was uh, nice to see him working. Yeah, I hadn't seen him in a while. He kind of popped up in the film at the end, kind yeah. of surprised me because I'd forgotten to see his name in the credits. But uh, interesting, slight, small part of the role at the end, kind of act as a little bit of a wrap-up in the end there. But mm-hmm. it was interesting to see a familiar face. So that's Sarah's Key. I think we're done talking about that. Uh, what we're going to do after the break is we're going to come back and hit some movie news and discuss some headlines we've been hearing uh, before we go into our picks of the month. So stay tuned. We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show. Hello and welcome back to Foot Candle Films. So Chris and I just finished talking about the film Sarah's Key as our featured review, but now it's time to go into some movie news and movie headlines. This is where we try to tackle three or four headlines. We basically throw it out there, the two of us bat it around, discuss it at length, and move on to the next one. So, uh, Chris, you've never brought up a movie headline before, but yet you've got a couple to share with us today. Is that right? Yes, I do. Great. Well, I'm going to let you take the first one then. What do you got for us? Okay. Darren Aronofsky. Okay. You know, he's the guy behind uh, Requiem for a Dream and The Fountain, and then last year's much acclaimed Black Swan. Yes. And Natalie Portman, she won an Oscar for it. So there's that. So he's finally announced his follow-up. Shooting is going to begin in spring 2012. Okay. And it's going to be a movie about the story of Noah from the Bible. And not only is it going to be a movie, but it's going to be the classic arc history story on an epic fantasy scale. That's how Aronofsky himself describes it. So you think big special effects about an arc. Kind of like almost the Ten Commandments from yesteryear, uh, but more of a modern, uh, more of an updated take on the Noah's Ark story. Yes. Wow. Thoughts on that, Alan? <laughs> I'm really surprised, actually. That that will not have struck, not have uh, come to me as a as a project I thought he would have been taking next. But, you know, he's batted around some interesting projects for his next film, and it sounds like he's settled on this one. Uh, there was talks for a while he was attached to actually do a Wolverine movie, the okay. superhero movie. Cool. And he, that was going to be his next film. I think he was even signed on and actually... Hmm. then detached himself from it. So it wasn't like he was just rumoring about it. It was supposedly a done deal for a while. Hmm. So to go from the films he's made so far to potentially a superhero movie, franchise movie, and now we're talking a complete epic, biblical-related epic film, big extravaganza. Mm -hmm. That's, wow, that's very interesting. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and he's typically, with the exception of The Fountain, special effects like, you know, in The Wrestler, no, like you know, oh, crazy yeah. CGI sure. and stuff. So I think because of the fountain, he can definitely use effects and handle them well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm interested to see. Well, what's your favorite budget. Aronofsky fa- uh, film? Wow. Um, he's done like, what, six? Maybe? He did Pie, Requiem for a Dream. Right. Uh, the Fountain. Um, and then The Wrestler. The Wrestler. And then Black, Black Swan. Swan. So maybe only five. I think just five, unless I'm missing something. Um. I would probably say my favorite was Requiem for a Dream, hmm. probably. Mine's The Wrestler. I oh, love yeah? The Wrestler. I like The Wrestler. I love The Wrestler. And I thought Black, Black Swan was really good, too. Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah. No? You no. don't see it? Okay. No. Right. Trust me. It's good. You're wrong. No, I mean. 
I just, I guess maybe the hype overwhelmed that one a little bit. So yeah. by the time I saw it, I was kind of like, eh. you're a little let down. Okay. Yeah, but I, I'm, I'm very interested to see him. No, that sounds really do interesting. Do a big budget film in Noah. Well, let's talk about another uh, director, or this time a director duo that I know we're big fans of. And even in our film society, we have shown at least one of their films. Uh, and that's what we showed a serious man last year, but this is the Coen brothers, Joel and Ethan Coen, okay. their newest film coming out soon. I think it's starting to shoot here pretty soon. They just landed their new lead actor is called inside Lewin Davis. Hmm. And it is a film about a sixties folk music scene. So, uh, that's all I know about it other than they have landed their new lead actor. And it's a gentleman that I'm not familiar with at all, Oh, really? which is cool. Yeah. Um, it's a guy named Oscar Isaac. Don't know. Who um, was in Drive? You saw Drive. Oh, I did. He was Carrie Mulligan's ex-con husband. Oh, okay. All right, so he's now the lead in the new Coen Brothers film. Interesting. And it is about the '60s and the folk music scene at that time. Should be interesting. And uh, I, you know, the Coen Brothers. I mean, I, I, I'm asking a loaded question. I know the answer to this, but mm-hmm. your enthusiasm for their films waned, not waned, gotten even stronger. Over the years, how do you how do you view them in terms of their progression over the last twenty years? In general, Coen Brothers make a movie, I will go see it. Mm-hmm. Now, do I think every movie they've made is great? No. There's the Lady Killers. There's mm-hmm. um, Burn After Reading. Those two specifically, yeah. I thought were absolutely horrible. Um, but then you come up with things like A Serious Man, and that was just awesome. Yeah. Um, so I will have to say though, the fact that they're kind of relying on music to pull another movie, it sounds like. Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? I liked it a lot. Yeah, but I did they too. relied heavily on that whole bluegrass, you know, mm-hmm. old school music to kind of pull the movie along, but it worked. Yeah. But the fact that they're seemingly, from what you're saying, they're going to be doing the basic same thing with 1960s music? Well, maybe. I mean, we maybe. have no idea at this point. And uh, it's a time period they seem to be a little enamored with because didn't A Serious Man kind of take place yes. in that 60s period yeah. as well? Yeah. So I'm a little... I guess I'm a little sketchy that maybe they're going to be relying on music again to pull them through, but I trust them and I'll go no, see anything they I, do. I'm very so. excited. I, uh, I, I've actually, your two examples of the films that did not work were the exact same two, I would say as well. I did not like Burn After Reading. It had a few great moments, but most of it was just very unimpressive. Right. And uh, I'm with you on The Lady Killers. That one just did not work at all. Mm-mm. But other than those two, just about every film they've made, I've either liked or loved. So that's intolerable cruelty. I liked it. I did too. Yeah. I, a lot, I, a lot of people put it down, but I actually thought it was a pretty good movie. It wasn't great. It wasn't one of their finest, but it was a good movie. Yeah. I enjoyed it. I thought, uh, I thought it worked out pretty well. Yeah. Um, and then I love serious man. So that's just, you know, if they're coming off of that film and putting something else, something new out there, I'm all, I'm on ready for it. I'm going to give you a two for one. Okay. Coen brothers thing. I actually thought even though this isn't movie news, but it still involves Coen brothers. They've just sold a detective comedy series to Fox. The Coen Brothers did? The Coen Brothers have. Yeah. It's called Harvey Carbo, and it's an hour-long comedy series that they've sold to Fox. Wow. Interesting. Strange. That's what I thought you were going to bring up, the Coen Brothers, but I thought you were going to talk about the fact they've sold a comedy series. No, no. We're a film show. We don't talk about TV projects. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting, though, you have to admit. Yeah, no, that's very interesting. I always think it's fascinating when film directors – start to dabble in TV mm-hmm. and you got to wonder, is it because they find themselves with a larger storyline palette of characters that they don't want to limit down to a 90 minute story 
that's kind of how I would see it. It's almost like you get so connected with a, a characters you write. And you're like, you know what? We can't just limit this to one movie. Right. It's got to be a TV series. Um, but I can't see the Coen brothers directing a, a TV series on, right. unless they just did the pilot or something. Right. But I guarantee it's one of those situations where they started writing and they came up with this idea. And they said, you know, there's just too much you can do with this. We don't want to cut it out in one movie. So I always wondered at kind of that progression, how filmmakers start to get interested in doing TV more. So right. it's neat. Yeah. Okay. Back over to you. What do you got next? You're a Beatles. I know I'm a Beatles fan. Oh, sure. Mm -hmm. Beatles fan. Yes. Awesome. Probably not to the, the avid level that, that you are. Okay. But I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a very, I'm a big fan. I'm just not a maniacal fan. Okay. <laughs> Okay, well, there's going to be a new Beatles movie coming out. It's going mm -hmm. to be kind of a backstory on the Beatles, and it's going to be directed by Michael Winterbottom, who oh. directed Road to Guantanamo and directed 24-Hour Party People, Tristan Shandy, lots of other stuff. And he just did a recently, what, The Trip? He yes. did with uh, yeah. He did with those two guys, Steve Coogan, Steve Coogan, and, and, and another actor. The there, other so, dude, yeah, that's okay. his like comedy partner. But yeah, yeah. So he just recently did that. He's got a very eclectic uh, filmography, going yes. from extreme drama in some places to uh, comedy, outright mm -hmm. comedy, to everything in between. So, so he's doing. Is it kind of a it's, documentary drama? Is it, it well, uh, you know basically what, what it is? It's called the Longest Cocktail Party, mm -hmm. and it, the script's been kicked around a while. Actually, Liam Gallagher. The guy from Oasis owns the rights to it, so that's kind of weird. Wow. Um, yeah, because, you know, him being the whole Beatles competition, he one time said we're greater than the Beatles and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. We'll see <laughs> so, how that turned out. So. <laughs> well, he's got the rights to the script. Yeah. Um, but anyways, yeah, um, basically it tells the story. What it's going to focus around is the formation of Apple Records. So when mm, the Beatles got okay. the idea to have a record label, and it then follows – them making their final album, Let It Be. Right. So it kind of centers around. Now, that me. would be interesting. Yeah. I'm a little tired of the formation of the Beatles oh, no, 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 through no. TV or movies right now. Uh, I never saw Nowhere Boy, the one that came out just the last either. year. I it was bad. Yeah. Wasn't Kristen Scott Thomas in that as well? She was. Yes. She There's our connection. The movie down. Yeah. <laughs> oh, now. Let's not say that about poor Miss Scott Thomas. I didn't Thomas. like her in English page um, either. Okay. All right. <laughs> we're we're going to steer away from the Chris and Scott Thomas bashing for a little bit. Um, but Beatles film, I would be very interested in the later years. Okay. That sounds interesting to me. I'm, I'm not interested in hearing any more about them in uh, forming a, as a bar band and right. getting to know each other and the whole John and, and, and Paul dynamic. Right. But if You're you tell me that. this is late 60s, early 70s, when they're winding down and forming a record label, that's interesting. Yeah, it's like just focusing on the record label and then I guess basically kind of the breakup. Okay, way. good. I'm there then. That sounds great. That sounds very interesting. Um, I got time for one more. Sure. This will be a quick one, but I just got to throw it out there because I think it's hilarious. Okay. Uh, so I am an unabashed fan of the 80s action film Die Hard. Okay. Uh, Love it. It is one of my top 15 films of all time. It's good. I think it set the framework for what we come to expect now as the big action movie yeah, yeah. with the downtrodden hero that you don't expect to be a hero type of thing. Mm -hmm. It's a great model. And this one really started it off. Well, what's interesting is – they decided, of course, like every other movie in Hollywood Maybe. that makes a little money is let's make a let's make a let's make a sequel. Oh, just sequels, yeah, just sequels. Reboot. So basically, there have been two sequels. No, three sequels. Oh wow, have there been three sequels? Yeah, there's there's yeah. Die Hard Two, which took place in the airport. Then you got Die Hard Three, which took place in downtown New York which City. Was Die Harder. Right? Die Harder was number two. Okay. Die Hard with a Vengeance was number three, three. and then last one. 
Number four was live free or die hard. Die hard. Right, right. Which right. really sucked. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. But they are making a fifth one. Awesome. And I'm so torn on this because I love the character of John McClane that, that Bruce Willis plays. He's still the only Bruce Willis character I really care about right now hmm. that he has as a franchise character. But the last movie was so bad. It was nothing like a Die Hard movie, and it really left me very unhappy. So, But I just love it when they come up with these titles for these new – okay, you want to oh. hear the title for Die Hard 5? Yes. Okay. It takes place in Russia. Supposedly John McClane's son – is like a uh, gets in some sort of trouble. He's overseas. He's instigates something. Gets in trouble. Gets locked up. And John McClane has to go to Russia to try to help get him out. Okay. Does the title have anything to do like from Russia with love? But no, no, but that would be funny, wouldn't it? Okay. No, this one is called "A Good Day to Die Hard." <laughs> okay. Yeah, I don't know. I just right. thought, a there good again. Day. A good day to die hard. I'm not asking for analysis. I'm not asking wow. for commentary on this. I just had to throw it out there because it's funny. Now, granted, if it turns out to be a really good movie, it could. the title's going to be awesome. Right. Okay. If it's just as bad as the last one was, then we're going to laugh at that title for years to come. So anyway, that's uh, I just had to throw that out there. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. So is that all of our movie news? Is that what we've got to cover here? Uh, yeah, I believe so. The only other thing I was going to throw out, just because I know, according to our website, he is what you consider to be your favorite director, Martin Scorsese. Yes. Um, he had just wrapped, or it's been on HBO. This is not a movie, but he is a movie director. That documentary on George Harrison. I was wondering if you'd seen any of it or heard it. I have not seen any of it, but I'm very curious. I'm mad that he didn't release it. As a documentary, because mm-hmm. I would have liked to see it in the theater. Yeah. But, oh, well. No, I have not seen that. And actually, speaking of Martin Scorsese, I'm very curious because his first CGI movie is coming out right. soon. And that's uh, Hugo that Cabaret. one's got me yeah. curious. I'm, it's not what I would have expected to come from uh, old Marty there, but uh, <laughs> definitely going to – I'll give it a shot and see what happens. Okay, so let's wrap it up for movie news. Uh What we're going to do now is go on to our movie picks of the month. So we have our picks of the month. This is where each of us get to pick out one film that can be a current past anything in between film that we're big fans of. And we think you ought to be as well. So Chris, you want to go first? Sure. All right. What do you got for us this month? My film this month is from 2004, and it was the director's first, and I believe his only movie so far, because he hasn't made one since then, um, but he's about to come out with another one. We'll get to that mm-hmm. in a second. Um, but it is Primer. You're talking about making a bigger one. You're talking about making a bigger one. Shane Carruth and it's a very low budget science fiction movie and when I say low budget I don't mean just like oh a million or whatever no this was made for seven thousand dollars seven thousand dollars seven thousand dollars it's a feature film that you are mentioning as a pick of the month yes now granted he wrote it produced it directed it did the music 
edited it, and also starred in it. So, so mm. I guess that's how he kept the cost. Well, yeah, absolutely. He yeah. did everything. Yeah. Um, but no, it's really good. And they use very little, for a science fiction movie, they use very little, they don't use any special effects. It's very practical. And basically, it's all around time travel. Uh, the story is that these physicists in their part-time, like, you know, after they leave work, they come and try to invent things to try to make some money on the side, try to get a patent or something really good going. And out of the group of four, these two guys figure out, they think they're trying to figure out how to make, I can't remember, the experiment basically fails, but in the experiment failing, they discover that they've discovered time travel. And it's kind of complicated. Mm. And it gets way complicated, too. But it's one of those movies that really rewards several viewings, and the the screenwriting is just amazing. And it's it's kind of like Memento, where when you finish the film, you're like, wait a second, what did what just happened? Well, you know, it's one of those films that makes you think. And uh, it's just amazing for it to be his first film. What's exciting is that he's coming out with um, another film, but in the meantime, he's worked with Ryan Johnson, who did Brothers Bloom and Brick. And his next movie is going to be Looper, and this guy helped him like work on Looper, so. So he's he's work, okay. Ryan Johnson's next film is Looper. Yes, and this guy Shane Carruth, yeah, is helping Ryan Johnson with his next film. Correct. So he hasn't done anything since Primer came out. No, and actually, the, from what I the very little I know about Looper, which is Ryan Johnson's next film, it's science fiction, and it somehow deals with time travel. And I'm wondering if maybe it's kind of a big budget remake of Primer. Right? Uh-huh. I don't know that much about it, but um, that could be kind of interesting. Could be because mm-hmm. um, this you know but. If you haven't seen Primer, I highly recommend it because it's really good. Awesome. Primer. Okay. And what, that came out what year? 2004. Okay. So it's been out for a little while. Then, yeah. So very yeah. neat. Yeah. No, I've, I've never got a chance to see it, but I've heard lots about it. It's good. I've always wanted to see it. My pick, and I know that you, Chris, you have seen this, and this will go on record as I think this was my number one movie of 2006 when it came out that year, uh, is the movie Black Snake Moan. White girl, dirty blonde hair, split down the middle line. Tell my Ray, girl got an itch. She got that sickness, shit up. What sickness? She goes crazy. I love this movie. And people who know me know that I'm a big fan of movies that incorporate music really well, mm-hmm. whether it's performances, whether it's just me, music carries a film. Uh, you know, I love movies that have to do with music. And this one, uh, this one got a lot of publicity when it came out, not for the right reasons. It was for the uh, <laughs> chaining, the chaining, uh, the fact that the imagery on the poster and all was basically a young girl chained to a radiator. Mm-hmm. And the idea looked like you have this old black man who is now keeping this, this white young little girl chained to a radiator. Yeah, that caused a lot of stir controversy. In it. But once you get past what that imagery stands for and into the film, this is a very powerful film. Mm-hmm. Okay. What you have here is you have the story of Samuel L. Jackson, stars as Lazarus. He's uh, a, a truck farmer, uh, just uh, divorced from his wife or separated from his wife. He's going through his own personal little uh, dealings as well. He comes into contact with a girl named Ray, and she's played by Christina Ricci. Ray is kind of the town tramp. She's you know very promiscuous. She's just a mess and you come to find out that it's a lot of her upbringing with her family and parents and what they've done to her over the years. Right. The two of them together form this 
it's kind of small family and it's just really powerful to see it progress and music plays a big part in the film and that he's a blues singer. That's something he used to do back in the day. And he starts to get creeping back into it a little bit more. He uses the blues to not only help heal her, but also just kind of get him back into a good groove of his life as well. I just, I, I think it's a great film. I think it's one of those films where you go in with one expectation and it completely changes that over time. It's got two of the greatest scenes in it uh, that are both around music. One of them is, She's, uh, it's hard to describe this, but she's just, she's so pent up with energy and sexual energy and frustration and all he, and, and there's a scene where he's trying to calm her down and he does it by playing this blue song while the lights are out in their house and a lightning storm's going on in the background Yes, and it just trying to get her to calm down. And that song is just a powerful scene. And then later on, he takes her to the club where he's actually playing uh, with his blues blues uh, band. Right. And just the energy, she gets into the music, and it just really helps invigorate her, too. I thought two great scenes, both centered around songs that are played in the music. And I think Samuel L. Jackson actually sang his own music there, which was pretty impressive because he sounded pretty good. I think he did, yeah. 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 Another surprise in the film is uh, Justin Timberlake. I think this may have been one of his first real acting jobs outside of a music video. And uh, he has a very small role, but he plays uh, Ray's fiance, I guess, mm. who is in the military and comes back home. He has his own challenges and issues as well. And uh, he plays a very small role, but he's also very good. Mm -hmm. He's, it's one of those things where I watched him. I said, okay, so this kid can do more than sing and dance. Um, and uh, so all in all, Black Snake Moan, the reason I bring it up this month is because the director, uh, who is Craig Brewer, this was his second film. First film was uh, Hustle, Hustle and Flow, which was also very good, dealing mm. with the rap industry. No, you didn't like it? <laughs> no. Really? Uh, I liked it. Uh, so Hustle and Flow was a good movie, I think, anyway, about the rap industry, very similar, tied in a lot of music. So now his third film coming out is a remake of Footloose coming out actually next week as we record this. And I will tell you, I'm actually generally interested to see how that movie pans out because if he can tie the same musical energy he did in black snake moan into a more of a dance pop type of environment with kids, it could be really interesting. Now I say that and I can't believe the words that come out of my mouth, even as I say that, but I'm actually kind of interested to see what the new Footloose remake looks like simply because of Craig Brewer's name attached to it. It'll be interesting. Okay. You're going to give me interesting at least, right? All right. Good. Well, that is our picks for the month. So we have a very, very low budget film uh, primer and we have black snake moan. Both came out kind of around the same time or within a couple of years from each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, But good films. You ought to go check out obviously available on DVD, uh, I don't know the Netflix uh, online instant availability of either of these, but certainly give it a shot because they keep adding new films all the time on that True. and looking on iTunes as well for uh, film downloads and rentals. But definitely a film we think you guys ought to check out. So that brings us to the end of the show. We have uh, tackled a, a good review. We've tackled a couple good recommendations. We've tackled some good movie news. I think overall a successful episode, Chris. Feel good about it? Anything we're leaving out? I don't think so. I think we got to hit all the right things. Good. Well, I know we can go ahead and give a little quick preview. Next month, we will be talking about the documentary uh, Project NIM about uh, humans trying to raise a chimpanzee Mm -hmm. as a human child. And it's from the same director of Man on Wire. James Marsh. James Marsh, which was a very good documentary. So very interested to see 
how this second, uh, his follow-up film to that is. So we will definitely be talking about that one next month, along with our uh, picks of the month and along with some other movie news. So with that, we'll go ahead and wrap it up today. Uh, this has been Alan Jackson and Chris Fry with Foot Candle Films. Just a reminder, you can visit our website at footcandle.org to learn more about us as a film society and see what we do here in Western North Carolina to bring some exciting films to this area. But then you can also go and check out other shows on The Mesh. That's themesh.tv, T-H-E-M-E-S-H.tv, and see not only our past episodes, but also go and check out all the other shows that The Mesh has has to offer. Um, So with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Thanks so much for listening. We'll look forward to talking to you next month. Special thanks to Carpal Taller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Taller, visit www.carpaltaller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard. It's so not a dumb action movie. The original is not. Now the sequels are kind of dumb, so. Okay, I got my little more art house film update, and then I've got my populist. The populist news. Yeah. <laughs> it's mainstream time. <laughs> <laughs>